definitely human. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast. Code acast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, welcome to Back to Earth, a podcast about roots. I'm Charlie May. This is episode 53. It's summer and I'm currently walking up and down the rows in the vineyard trying to look for my secateurs. Mum is convinced that I've dropped them in one of the rows when we were doing our stem selection pruning. I can't find them anywhere and they're my favourite pair and they're green and silver so not that easy to see in amongst all the grass. I'm also walking up and down to see how my vines are looking Last week, after listening to Alina's episode from Venn Valley Vineyard and her saying how important it is to have a spray program in place, her words were ringing true in my ear and I started to panic because the vines from last year were looking very heat stressed on the bottom, losing their leaves, looking like, you know, all the trees are at the moment going into this false autumn, just looking as if they're shutting down for winter, basically. And I don't know whether that's them storing their energy for next year or whether they are literally dying. So I went into a bit of a panic um, and I sent some pictures to my agronomist um, who said not only are they heat stressed, but they also have powdery and downy mildew, which isn't such a problem for year two because I'm not looking to harvest any grapes, but I don't want it to get so bad that they don't live another year. So I got the sprays, had them all delivered, um, ready to put them out. Mum and I did the maths, annoyingly, in order to... (laughs) All the sprays have different recommendations and it says, you know one litre per 15, I should explain, one litre of solution for 1,000 litres of water. But then another one will say 500 litres of water for 1,500 litres of solution or something. I don't know. It's Anyway, that was the wrong way around. Anyway, it's very, very confusing. And so mum and I sat down and we did the maths one afternoon and we were like, okay, we did the sums and we thought we had it all figured out. And then when it came time to me actually putting the solution in the knapsack sprayer, I suddenly was thinking, okay, wait, I've got like a litre of sulphur here and I've written down that I need 750 millilitres. So that's like the whole bottle, which is like 150 pounds. Like, is that even right? And I thought, who do I know who I can call upon, who's very academic, intellectual, amazing at maths and equations? And it's Harry. So I called my brother up and thank God he was on Excel. He did all the calculations for me and I literally needed like 
it was like 66 milliliters or something rather than 750 milliliters. So we got the math so wrong. And I'm really pleased to have him there on side to help me out with that. And yeah, so I, I, li- I literally needed like a little spritz of each. Um, and I was also thrown for a loop because on the package, it was saying this is for mushrooms, directions use for mushrooms. And I was like, I'm not growing mushrooms. I'm growing vines. What's going on? Oh, anyway, all in a day's stress for your local farmer, Charlie May. <laughs> So last week, I went to go and see my Uncle Andrew to see this amazing new pond that he's built. He is also in farming, like most of the May family. He is not a farmer anymore, but he works very closely with farmers. We talked about how innovation is changing modern farming, some amazing sort of new techniques in bioscience. I also got to hear about his idyllic childhood growing up in Devon, adventures with my dad. And most importantly, I got to meet his adorable dog, Sid. So, through the power of editing, let's go back in time to hear that chat with my Uncle Andrew. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Hello, Sid. Hi. Hello. Aren't you gorgeous? Hello. Oh, I think you must have chased me all the way down the drive. Yeah. Oh, yes, aren't you cute? <laughs> Oh, you love a little butt scratch. Who doesn't love a butt scratch? Yes. Hi. This is incredible. What gave you the idea to put a pond in? Just always been fascinated by water. Yes. You've never seen it before? I know, I've never seen it before. It wasn't a very tidy area of the orchard. And uh, come up on the jetty. On the jetty? Yeah. God, this is unbelievable. Is there? I was going to ask you if there were any fish. This is like four times the size I thought it was going to be, I have to say. Really? Yeah. (laughs) You can see what the level's done this year. Obviously, there's still water, spring-fed water coming in there. It never stopped, but it got very low, and it's just coming back up again. Okay. So is this a bit of a natural wetland then, and you've just sort of hollowed it out, and then the spring water fills it up? There was always a spring coming out the top. There was a lot of water on this um, hill line, so it came down the side of the hedge there. And this was, yeah, it was a little bit of a wetland down here. But uh, if you look at the level there, those boards, normally it's up. Need to tell you about a monk, actually. Really? What do you mean? (laughs) That is a monk at the end there. What's a monk? Okay. Okay. So monks, when they were catching their fish, used to have a set of boards that hold the level of the pond or, you know, the area they had the fish in. And to catch a fish, you used to take the boards out, drop the level of the water, catch a fish, and then put the boards back in and up it would fill again. If it was at full height, it's 12 feet going off here. You wouldn't touch the bottom. But it's just a massive life in here, actually. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You've got bulrushes, you've got lily pads. I can see all sorts of little insects on the surface having a lovely time. You've sort of created a bit of a habitat. The bulrushes are taking over. They've caused me a lot of grief, actually. Oh, really? They look lovely. They look lovely. They started with just one or two, like like those bits over there. And then within two years, look at the mass that I've got. Yes. And they're going to keep wandering out. So picking them out is not great fun and thinning them. How do you do that if it's 12 foot down? And there's a long uh, route underneath. Yes. You can see where I've been picking them and they come back up again. They're yes. shooting back up from the roots. Apparently the roots, you can eat them. So uh, really? Not that I've tried it yet, actually. <laughs> but they're a great cover for, for birds and insect life. And in the winter, it's just a maze of snow down here because the, the top of the bulrush sort of flowers out and goes very white. And there's this white going everywhere around here, actually. Are we expecting to get the rain now, do you think? How long are we going to be in this drought? 
Well, for me, it's it's how long the water takes to go through the ground and come out as ground source water. Yeah. So this won't really be gushing it in there probably for two or three months if it rained every day till Christmas. Wow. Do you want to sit on the bench? Yeah, let's sit on the bench. Yeah, perfect. God, how idyllic. No, there, that's all right. This is nice. Um, I wanted to know, because obviously you started out in fish farming, and I feel like it's a bit of a May family thing to go out and do trout tickling and all that kind of stuff. And we I will preface... an education in catching fish in any method, actually, yeah. when we were younger, actually. I remember pushing your dad's willy boot off the bridge there at one stage, and he wasn't very amused, actually. But the whole family used to go down there fishing, uh, down at the stream at the bottom there. So, yeah, with our probably dangling our little worm in and everything like that and they're all tiny little you know brown trout like that so it was great fun as a family we used to go up on um up up to acklands and uh, spend the day tickling amongst the you know because there were five of us my sister probably didn't want to know but the rest of us it was like competition to see who could catch what and so we developed ticking, and your dad was very good at it, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's one of my childhood memories, I think, of yeah, being in the stream, and he's like slowly tickling. And dad didn't even eat fish, did he? I think he no, was no, keen he, to he, fish, he, but he didn't <laughs> want to eat them. <laughs> no. Eggs as well, I think. I said. Was that right? Or that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said he yeah. saw an egg being laid, and he never wanted yeah, to know. never wanted to know again. But no, so we had, we had an idyllic childhood, all of us, actually. So it was all spent on horses riding and, you know, they used to, parents used to say, right, you've got to be back at seven and, you know, you get on with it. So we used to go off on the horses and go up and see my grandmother up the top up there and uh, used to be a deer out there they'd reared as a, as, a, as a thorn myrtle, she was called. So you could ride up to her on a horse, but you couldn't walk up to her. Wow. But, uh, yeah. They're a bit more relaxed. Yeah. On horseback. And there was a panic one day when um, Crystal went up there and there'd been a chain reaction of the beer had gone off in the dairy in there and Christopher was on a on a horse taking it up to my grandmother up there but he, he made Wait, it, so you yeah. were brewing your own beer? We, we made everything in those days so yeah. brewed our own beer you know, we started very you know, we were younger we had our ginger beer plant and things like that but uh, no, we used to brew all the time your, your father in particular was <laughs> I spent all of Easter one day picking primroses to make primrose wine. And I've never heard of that before. Well, it was disgusting, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, typical ones: blackberry wine, elderberry wine, apple wine, and um, beer was all part of it. So yeah, we used to make our own drinks. So the kitchen would be glugging away all these demijohns. What's the main sort of difference that you have, like, from growing up with Granddad? Um, on the farm, working the farm to sort of how farmers work now. Do you think, I mean, we've sort of modernised a lot in the last hundred years and we're almost, there's a way of going back to the old ways now. There's a move afoot. There is a move afoot, but it will never be like that. I don't think machinery will disappear. I think it will become more efficient. I mean, this year I came across my first uh, robotic weeder on, on Fodderbeat. Wow. Uh, the unit would cost about 54000 It would run itself, even going around corners, and it would weed between plants as well as up rows. So every, all the plants were set on a GPS, so you know the system knew where every plant was, and it was weeding into plants as well as up the rows, actually. Okay. So... That will be the way that things go. Uh, there will be a lot more efficiencies made. It's hard. It's a time of change. The new generation of farmers will go about it. There are not many of them following in their parents' footsteps. You know, if you look at the average age of a farmer, that would be 59, 60. And the gen- next generation of probably don't want the hassle of what their parents had. And, and well, when you came agri- when you came back from studying at university, you didn't want to work for your dad, did you? Because he was stuck in the old ways and you had new ideas. And I think that's still it happening was, now. It was different. I mean, I came back here, I did the markets, which uh, your dad didn't like. And uh, I, I quite enjoy, I've always liked buying and selling and that side of things. And that's in the family blood from going back from my grandfather. And, uh, you know, when dad died, 
side, we were so hit hard with um, death duties that, uh, you know, I, I was the least established. I had to come out of it and find other things to do. But I've been very grateful for what I've got. I see the best side of farming. I see a lot of different farming situations and families in, you know, mainly in dairy and beef. But my business is basically selling them fermentation bacteria so to ferment their crops so they feed better, they keep cool and... Uh, I do a lot of corn treatments, but it's all about, you know, producing your own food and um, being sustainable in that direction. And there's never been a more critical time with the commodities climbing through the roof. It's been a very, very tricky year. A lot of dairy farmers have had to shut their cows in and feed what they hopefully were going to have as their winter ration. You know, coupled with a shortage of water, very, very tricky year. Um, So usually you know they would have finished their cuts of silage by now but they're all waiting for the grass to go again and they'll be cutting till christmas if they can get on the ground to do it just to make up for the deficit so some real difficulties real problems with crops that they've died they get very purple in the stem and and you know they've been been droughted basically and uh, every single forage crop has been 10 days to a fortnight early this year desperate needs its rain um but a lot of these crops are permanently damaged with the, with the um, heat that they've had um so we wait and see and uh the good news is you know, wet conditions can bring its problem with maize we there's a real understanding now of toxins or we call them microtoxins and maize is one of the major sources of it. and you get a wet year with lots of fungus on the leaves and um you get what we call fusarium in the actual cob feed it to your livestock and it can make them quite ill or underproducing in a way so it's one of the areas that is being better understood at the moment and uh, microtoxin remediation is an expensive thing you, you've got binders which bind the toxins and the latest technology you've got enzymes that deactivate the toxins it's something that will come to you in the f- human food chain in time you don't know when you're, you're, you're eating your bowl of cornflakes whether it's got toxins in it every single food has a toxin of some description whether it's a minuscule amount and it's not going to harm you or it's a amount that's sort of subacute and just makes you not quite right or acute where it could actually kill you so with a dairy cow you know the toxin it's quite an amazing thing within two or three days of going on to some of this microtoxin remediation the cows can jump a litre and a half two litres milk quality goes up everything's really? sorted wow. So everything these days is supposed to be highly traceable. My additives would have to be put through a very vigorous testing in in the European Feed Standards Agency. They're tested for antibiotic resistance. They're tested for all the claims that you make behind it. So anything that goes into the food chain has to have a degree of testing. So we don't know where we are now that we've done Brexit. Um, we think we're going to be worse than probably the Euro- Europeans were, but there's no sort of, we're still relying on the, on the standards that were set up, um, such as EFSA. But we just don't know where we're going to be in the future. But it's very difficult with innovative new products. Um, it's the sheer cost of putting it through that system that will probably mean they won't reach a market and they won't be doing what they should do. Especially this year, I think farmers are being very cautious about how they spend their money and they've had to be you know if you look at the cost of of wheat got up to 325 you know it's come down always comes down pre-harvest but i got some that reckon it's going to be 400 pound a ton by january that's the gamble you take you know it's just unheard uh, of because I remember, you know, mum and dad talking about the grain being sort of 160, 70, and they couldn't believe it's never been that high. You know, it's just unbelievable. It's now doubled. This year with the drought, we're seeing people getting rid of stock because they, they haven't got the food to feed it. So, you know, some of the stock has climbed down, lambs climbed down in price, um, beef is easier to buy. 
There's no grass around, so maybe if this weather does change, you can see across the hill there, it's just a bit of greening appearing that, so it's dead as a doornail most of the time, actually. And grass will always recover, but whether it recovers in time, you know, when if you haven't got food, what do you do, actually? So water water and and feed prices are the major issue in, in farming at the moment. Out of the doom and gloom. I'm not. I'm not. A, I think you'll find most farmers are not doom and gloom no. merchants. They're eternal optimists. Yeah. Probably unfounded, but they're eternal optimists. And you have a bad year, you know, somewhere along the line there'll be a rebalance in nature that you'll have a good year next year. And uh, I can't say that there are always winners and losers in a, in a hot climate like this. Actually, and you as a wine grower probably are a winner, are you or not? Well, no, not this year because they're only two years old and they're looking very sad. I've got mildew set in; they're they're yellowing on the bottom. I've had to spray them last week, so I'm hoping they pull through. But I think what are you spraying them with? Some mineral seaweed. Ah, do you know about seaweed? No. <laughs> it's the biggest anti-stress. Um, yes, that's what. Yes. Yeah. Because cause of the tide, um, you know, a lot of the seaweed extracts were taken off the Brittany coast. It's kind of an interesting mechanism. And I've seen it used to grow um, potatoes at a uniform size, actually. I was taken around Ireland at one stage to look at it. And uh, it, it's the biggest anti-stress thing you can put on. It helps the, the plant pump more for its iron and phloem. Um, so pulling in more nutrients, it will save the day. So, yeah, it, it's a very good thing to use, actually. So uh, so you experience <laughs> that. But quite often you can put various minerals in, in there with it, which can be absorbed into the plant. But, you know, any gardener should be doing that. And you would have a degree of protection with a mycorrhiza, which you no doubt used. And, uh, you know, that is an amazing um, subject. And I, I'm quite interested in that for some of my farmers. I'm looking at data at the moment that shows that with the use of mycorrhiza on ploughed crops, you could save maybe up to half the fertiliser and still reach the same mm. yield. So it's a symbiotic organism. Mm. So it's a fungus. It comes from the Greek of... Um, a Greek name mycorrhizae, it's quite a strange name, but I think it meant fungus organism or something like that, actually. And uh, it brings in, it, it's like an extension of the root system, so the root gives it sugars, and uh, it puts these long hyphae underground and pull nutrients and moisture into the plant, and it's a great establishment aid, so you would have found that with your vines. Mm. So your vines might have actually coped better in a dry summer than something that wasn't treated with mycorrhiza. I hope so. We did dip the roots in mycorrhiza because I've been reading about it and even things down to bluebells apparently wouldn't be able to thrive as much as they do because all the root system counts on mycorrhiza to sort of spread the bluebells around and I think exactly. there's so much yeah. research we need to do about understanding the this root. symbiotic relationship between these plants. Yeah, and there's all sorts. Of, I mean, any, any arborist or tree grower would, would plant with mycorrhiza. I, as a gardener, all my plants you see in here are all mycorrhiza. Are treated. You know, there's a big use for cereal, establishment of grass. I, I had one organic farmer um, that put in, he took me out next year and he put it in strips down his field and he said to me, Andrew, I can't see any difference. I said, you know, he was also called Andrew. And I said, Andrew, I can't. <laughs> a year later, I was looking at a different field and looking across at the field and it was a hot summer and it was green, dead, green, dead. Wow. It was as obvious as that, yes. actually. And uh, so, you know, a good tool, a good natural tool. So, you know, the mintil is now something that if you don't disturb that zone you will um, still have use of the mycorrhizae that naturally establish themselves but every plant every you know w- w- is an intricated web of things but mycorrhizae are very much part of what goes on underneath and uh, they're getting better understood 
but uh, it's still a long way to go. But as an aid to, to growing crops and feeding people, um, yes, big thumbs up, actually. Here comes Anthony. Don't, don't worry Kaz. about it. Don't worry about it. I've just literally bought a load of noisy kids. We want to see how swimming's done. No, that's all right. <laughs> so my cousin Anthony has just arrived with a bunch of very loud children. I think they are here to swim in the pond, even though it looks very, very cold. So I think an appropriate ending to the episode would be if I go in. Let's go. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> it looks so cold. Okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh my God, I'm procrastinating. Okay. Here I go. Oh my God. Okay. Wow, did you hear that? The freezing cold pond is really nice, actually. Very convincing. Should more episodes end with me randomly jumping into large bodies of water? Cast your vote now! In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Back to Earth Podcast, on Twitter at Back to Earth Pod, and on TikTok at Back to Earth Charlie. Music is by John Day, artwork is by Eric Chow, and this episode was edited by David Knight, who's being very rude and yawning right now. (laughs) Thank you, guys, and thank you for listening. If you want to support Back to Earth, you can rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Definitely Human. Back to Earth is a Definitely Human production. Okay, bye! Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.